the 15 Psalms, each one headed Song of Ascents, form a kind of unit between number 120 and 134. Commentators, are, they can see it's a unit, and it meant a lot to the Jewish people in their worship long ago, and perhaps today they use Psalms a lot too. And they think, some commentators think it's associated with the pilgrims coming up to the three feasts a year in Jerusalem. And it was quite a hike, coming from far and wide to make their way up to Jerusalem, singing these psalms maybe on the way. Others think it was part of the temple services after they got back, or maybe before from the exile, and that there were 15 steps up to, up to something or other, and that they sang one psalm for each step. Maybe both were true. Maybe they were composed separately and brought together, just as we do that with our hymns. They're all short. They all have a specific theme. They're all very personal. They're all about, um, they're all about Jerusalem and worship, very much centered on God's presence in Jerusalem. I like short. They're only six verses long. <laughs> and for me, that means... Um, our psalm was just five verses long, and for me it divides into three parts. Verses one and two. If you have a Bible, you can look it up. Um, yeah, put the one on the screen. Yeah, why not? Thank you. So there are times when we especially appreciate, especially if we've been bogged down in marshy ground. We appreciate solid ground, and especially after the recent earthquakes in Southern California and warnings about more to come. I like New York <laughs> and the ground not shaking under my feet. I don't think they get a lot of earthquakes in Jerusalem, so I can understand the, how the song we read can say that Mount Zion cannot be shaken. Yeah, I understand that. I had a bit of trouble with the phrase, the mountains that surround Jerusalem. So I got onto Google and I looked at aerial pictures of Jerusalem and its surroundings. Hmm, there are mountains in Israel. They're quite steep, but they are not near Jerusalem. Around Jerusalem, you've got rolling hills and suburbs sort of buildings all over them. But I guess if you're cycling those hills you'd notice. Driving up 134 to come up to church here, I think of my son-in-law sometimes cycling up there. I'm thinking, how does he do that? <laughs> the car doesn't even notice. But I bet pedestrians noticed it during the, when they were pilgrims. So maybe that's why they said the mountains. However, <laughs> beloved as Zion's hill was to the ancient worshiper and tough as those surrounding hills may be, these are just pictures for the stress that the psalmist is putting on relationships with the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Wow, that speaks of the bedrock of assurance, of assurance, of being sure. The unshakable confidence that people had in the covenant promises of God. It's relationship with them. I like that. It's not, well, did you make all three trips this year? Did you? It's those who trust in the Lord are like this, meaning they are not shaken easily in their personal lives, 
by things that happen. And things will happen. Things will happen. It's saying that if you trust in the Lord, you will do okay. I know okay is not good for shalom, but okay is a Yankee word. Uh, really okay. You will do okay if you trust in the Lord. No matter what. You will have God's peace if you trust in the Lord. Even in tough times. I guess the pilgrims had a lot to think about. It was apparently pretty rough then. It's pretty rough in a lot of parts of this world, isn't it? Not least where Gillian was reading about. There was a lot of danger when they traveled then. Less danger for us. We could stay in safe places most of the time. You will have God's peace. Trust in the Lord. You will have shalom. This resonates in the New Testament. We could go to a lot of verses, but I thought of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, everyone else is running around, he said this to his disciples, everyone else is running around wondering what they're going to eat, trying to get enough money to put a roof over their heads. You, you seek first the kingdom of God. Yes. And trust. You have heavenly God is your heavenly father. He knows what you need. If you look at this first, you'll get the others. But if you look for the others, you might miss out on him. So trusting is right there in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. Trust that our heavenly father will take care of us because he knows what we need even better than we do. I don't mean we shouldn't work hard for our living. That's a whole other story. But those who trust in the Lord will be rock stable because they have some good basis for their lives. After the picture of the hills surrounding Jerusalem, it says, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and evermore. By the way, I'm sure some of you know this already, but that's a poetic arrangement, isn't it? You've got, um, <clears throat> you've got relation, you've got a simile, you've got a simile, and you've got relation. There's a chiasma. I think that's how you say the word. Trust. Mount Zion. Surrounding hills. The Lord surrounds his people. It's wonderful. It's poetry that can manage 2,600 years or more. It's poetry that can manage not rhyming because it's a totally different language than ours. And it just reaches into your heart, doesn't it? <laughs> And I'm a scientist. I don't like poetry much. So this is rock-solid confidence that if you trust in the Lord, it's as if you were surrounded by God on every side. He doesn't just help you out of a specific difficulty, but he's there blessing and protecting us at every point in our lives. At breakfast, in the gym, if you do that kind of thing, while commuting, ah, commuting, in sickness, in difficulty with a co-worker, whatever. He is there, surrounding us with his love. He may rebuke us, he may correct us, he may steer us gently away from sin, but he's there. I didn't find a lot about the word surround in the New Testament. Would you believe? But they use the word protect. And the key biblical truth had protect in there, didn't it? That's the same sort of thing. And Jesus prayed for his disciples that God would protect them 
by the power of his name. So we may be one. When Paul is writing that famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of good things about love, but a little thing tucked in there. Did you? It says, love always protects. Isn't that gorgeous? Are you protecting your husband? Are you protecting your wife? Are you protecting your mother? Your daughter? Love protects. What a blessing. What a blessing. Our hymns so often reflect the Psalms, as you know. And we sang today, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. Or it's another hymn that's not in our book that I wanted, but we don't know it. Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Or, as we love to sing with the children, the wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock. Come on. The wise man built his house upon a rock, and the rain came tumbling down. Yes, on a rock. A lot of our songs are based on the Psalms. There's a lot in those two verses. You could have two sermons on just those two verses. But we pulled out just two thoughts. God is a rock to rely on. And God surrounds you with his love and protects you. Those two thoughts. I want you. I want you. I want your trust in God to make you like a rock when things are tough. And I want your trust in God to help me be a rock when things get tough. Because it's not just individual, is it? The world is individual, but The message of the gospel is the people of God. Verse 3. And can you flip? The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. That's a promise. We don't know if the psalm refers to external evil, to the Assyrians coming down, the Babylonians taking over and raising the city, making it flat. Or maybe internal. We read a lot about internal injustice. Lots of examples of both in the Old Testament. But the psalm has assurance that the Lord will overcome the evil. Is that just an idea for the old times? Not now. Of course it's not. It's true for the New Testament as well. Jesus said to his disciples, In this world you will have trouble Take heart, I have overcome the world. I want to remember that verse when next I feel troubled, don't you? Take heart, that's our Lord saying to his disciples, and I'm sure to you and me, to every one of us. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And John, in one of the epistles, writes to young men that he knew, the first epistle of John, 3.13. You have overcome the evil one. Yeah. But to overcome evil (laughs) takes effort on our part. That's why Paul tells us to be active about it. To overcome evil with good. He's not saying just God overcame. He's saying you overcome evil. That's because the promise is the Holy Spirit's given to each one of us. 
And the command, it's the interplay, bit, isn't it, between the sovereignty of God and our choices. Overcome evil. How do you overcome evil? With good. Wow. That would be a whole great sermon on its own. Yes, there's evil around, but God's promise is the scepter of the wicked will not remain. It's a promise. We may see evil around us, but God is in control. I was doing okay so far with this psalm, but the next one jolted me a bit. (coughs) The wicked will not remain over the land, but then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. It did say might, didn't it? (laughs) Amy. What is this? The righteous might do evil. That sounds like a, what's the phrase? um, It doesn't make sense. They're righteous. How could they do evil? Well, think of your life, certainly my life, maybe sometimes. Not something I want to talk about when I'm in the middle of a praise psalm, is it? Shouldn't the psalm focus on the positive, on praising God? Well, that's the point about the Psalms, isn't it? They're brutally honest about God. Much, much bigger than we think. And they're brutally honest about... ...covenant with his people. But they're honest also about our failings. His people's anger, his people's fear, his people's doubts. Israel was the people of God. Through his promise to Abraham, they stayed the people of God no matter what. And they are today. And you are if you believe in Christ. Yet the whole history of Israel is one of ups and downs. It's been compared to a saw. Up and down, the edge of a saw. I prefer a different one. Certainly they went up and down. They revived in trust, they revived in honouring God, and then they fell into accepting the mores, the culture of the world they were in, making idols, praying to the people of the land, the gods of the land. One moment they have 29 years with good King Hezekiah, and they centre their worship on God, so that when the Assyrian army besieges them round Jerusalem, not a very big place then, God delivers them miraculously. And right after Manasseh, he, uh, right after Hezekiah has a son, Manasseh, and they have a long reign where he does exactly the opposite. He, he says, I didn't like what my dad did. Let's go back to doing what we want to do. So they went up and down. Yes, the Lord's people do have up and downs. My story has a lot of downs and ups too in it. Does yours? But remember, God will not allow temptation more than we can bear in 1 Corinthians 10.13. There are things we can do to help overcome evil in our lives. Well, we can make sure that our friends include those who know and love the Lord. doesn't mean you shouldn't have Christian, non-Christian friends, of course. But make sure that there are people who influence us love God, that we can share. I think of, I've been reading the Proverbs. I can't take a whole lot of the Proverbs at one time, so I I read 10 verses every day, and then I read the rest of the Bible a bit. 
And time and time again in the Proverbs, it talks about listen. A wise person listens to advice. And it has this wonderful phrase in the King James, I think it is, faithful are the wounds of a friend. None of us likes to be criticized, and that's not part of what we do, but listen to friends. That's part of overcoming evil, I think. My friend is my wife, and she often has things to help. <laughs> As you know. <laughs> well, maybe your friend is someone else who can help you with that. I don't know. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have some friends, some friends who help you with God. Other friends that you can try, and of course it works out different with different friends, doesn't it? You can try to either share or be the love of Christ to them. We can encourage one another. It says that in Thessalonians and many other places. We can encourage one another. And that's one way of overcoming evil. And if we're not together, well, we can't do that. I'm glad we're together this morning. So verse 3 encourages us that God is stronger than evil and that he will keep us from getting caught up in evil as we look to him. In verses 4 and 5, the psalm prays for God to bless the good and to banish, to get rid of the bad. Do good to the good, get rid of the evildoers. Do you feel comfortable with that verse? The Bible seems so black and white. My world often has so many shades of gray, it seems. Does the psalmist really feel he's good enough to be blessed by the Lord? Well, all too often, when God's people do start feeling they are, they're good, they're more righteous than their neighbors, it kind of looks ugly. If we start looking at how good we are, we forget. Simple things like love your neighbor involves often far more than we even would have guessed. We think we're pretty good. And God says, my goodness me. My goodness me. Maybe that happened in old times too, that you could get a feeling you were good. The Psalms often do seem to take for granted that God was on their side, even though that history was so up and down. How do we deal with that self-assurance in light of the Sermon on the Mount, in light of the command to love our enemies? Well, when the psalm asks God's blessing on the good, it's not necessarily that the singer assumes that they never did wrong. David's psalms reflect his sorrow over sin, don't they? as well as his trust in the unfailing love of the Lord, the Bible's quite, quite open about the failings of the man who is supposedly after God's own heart. Take comfort. Not that we're good, but we're good because God says, I love you. We can look to him. Not because our actions are better than anyone else's. And even, what's the longest psalm in the Bible? What is it? Psalm number Sophie, one? 119. It's a very long psalm. I like short psalms. But that wonderful psalm is full of repeating and repeating the psalmist's love for God's law. And the last verse, the last verse says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, 
like a shepherd seeks a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I've not forgotten your commands. So when this psalm says, those who do good to those who do good, that doing good is not, I'm better than anyone else, is because I'm part of the people of God. I've been chosen by God. I am part of that promise. And banishing the, the bad, you know. We want to banish evil, but we want everyone to hear and be given chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus because that's what brought me into Christ. I don't know about you, but I was not born into a Christian family. I was delighted to find. So God does make distinctions, oh yes, between good conduct and bad conduct, but the Old Testament saints would stand with us in that while we identify with God's people, and yes, we're seeking to do things that lay up treasures in heaven. When it comes to prayer and Jesus' teaching on prayer about the Pharisee and the publican, Old Testament and New Testament states, saints sit, stand with the publican. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And they go down to their house justified because God said so. In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson writes about these 15 psalms and maintains we're too quick sometimes in looking for spiritual progress. It takes time to grow spiritually. It takes perseverance. He quotes that the Christian life looks more like a pilgrimage or a discipleship than what we so often make it. Tourism, which I love doing, takes just a few days or a couple of weeks. But a pilgrimage took time, had a definite goal. Our pilgrimage takes a lifetime. Are you a pilgrim or a tourist? Are you sampling new places, new friends, just like a tourist does? Or does your journey have a definite goal? Does your spiritual life involve just a, a quick visit some Sundays and then back to normalcy on Monday. But if we're too quick, we miss out. We miss out on this stuff. We miss out on God's love and provision for all who trust in him. And then we might get more tangled in sin. We're bad enough at doing it anyway. We might neglect things that we could do to show God's love in ways that if we're in our culture and in this world, we don't have time to think about. And we might miss out on praying for the church. The last verse, peace be on Israel, kind of is a prayer for the church then. And you and I need to be praying for the church now. Yes, tarnished as it is. Yes, full of people who can irritate you sometimes. But God's church. Are you a tourist or a pilgrim? I pray that all of us at the CBC will be disciples and pilgrims, not just tourists. We read this psalm as scripture today, but remember that the psalms were then used in worship. And many churches read a psalm every day, every Sunday. I'd like us to stand. Annie's going to flip back. I'd like us to read this psalm aloud together. And then we'll sing our next song. Okay. Those who trust in the Lord... Like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, 
but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and ever. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers peace beyond Israel.